This episode has a special extended B-side cut only on spinitpod.com, where we'll talk about all 21 tracks, play more Factor Spin, and more, so check it out. I've listened to Songs in the Key of Life by Stevie Wonder for two years. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. What? I keep trying to do the normal intro. You messed me up on the Beach Boys too. What? What do you have? Uh, I don't have. No, I was saying I don't have. I don't have any pigeon talk for today. It's kind of sad. <laughs> okay. Hi. Welcome to Spin It, the not pigeon podcast, the record ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. Pigeon it. I'm plowing right through. I'm just powering right past that. Pigeons have taken up far too much time in this podcast as it is. Today we're talking about Songs in the Key of Life by Stevie Wonder, the man himself. I'm so excited to talk about this one. I thought you would be, yeah. Um, it's been a bit since we've done like a super like just legendary artist. You don't think the Beach Boys count as a legendary artist of some like to some degree? Not to me. Uh, like I feel like the Beach Boys have like they're iconic, I guess, in the sense of like their time period, but they, they also have plenty of people who just don't like their kind of music like i feel like the majority of people just find stevie wonder you can find stevie wonder music that you like just one of those universally liked artists like he's up there with like a billy joel like you can always find a billy joel song everybody can jam out to you got a good point and the beach boys were like at least six people in john stamos this this is just one guy one guy no sight well, yes, that's right. Stevie Wonder, like we'll talk about, he was not born blind, but he was blind very shortly after his birth. Functionally speaking, he's been blind his whole life. And if he's not the funkiest man alive, he's he's got some real funk legends. He's the funk king. Exactly. Stevie Wonder is not his real name. If you hadn't guessed, Wonder is a stage name. Mr. Wonder. Please address him with the authority and respect he deserves. Mr. Wonder. Mr. The Wonder, sir. Stevie Wonder was born Steveland Hardaway Moore in May of 1950. He's from Saginaw, Michigan. I won't hold that against him. Okay, yeah, you Ohio native. It's fine. Michigan's fine. Aren't you an Ohio native? I I am too, yeah. (laughs) I also won't hold it against him. Said that as if you weren't one. (laughs) I don't feel the need to justify that I'm not holding it against him. I just wanted it to be clear that I didn't want people to think I was. Right. Stevie Wonder also is another early starter. I don't think he breaks our record, right? Because we have a... No, because Michael Jackson was like five, right? Michael Jackson was five. So Stevie Wonder is not long after that. He signed with Motown Records at age 11 in 1961 and that's where he got his name little stevie wonder because he was kind of a child prodigy Uh, i mean like wicked good at that age especially and he was also good at that age at writing songs his song fingertips made it to number one on the billboard 200 when he was 13 years old he's the youngest artist ever to top the billboard 200 there was a story i was reading about him that like he uh heard like an orchestra playing that was like a 200 piece orchestra or something and he was like one of your like bassoons is out of tune and so then the director had each of the bassoons go down and he was like yep one of them was out of tune like he could just (laughs) out of an entire 200 piece orchestra pick out a specific instrument that was out of tune yeah he's a wonder that's his that's his thing is he's wonderful what people kind of consider the classic era of stevie wonder music started around 1972 when he put out his records music of my mind and talking book Of course, one of his most famous songs, Superstition, is from Talking Book. And I am of the opinion, I I stand by it, that Superstition may be the funkiest song to exist. Definitely is up there on the funk scale. Mm -hmm. And, you know, through his entire life, from that start at age 11 all the way up, through the classic period to, you know, modern day, Stevie has won 25 Grammy Awards. And in 1996, he earned the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. He's been nominated for 70 Grammys. For everything from best R&B album, to male pop vocal performance, to record of the year, to producer of the year, and so much more. The list is just enormous. He's one of only two artists to win album of the year three times as the main artist, along with Frank Sinatra. And he's the only one to do it on three consecutive album releases. Songs in the Key of Life that we're talking about today is the third of those three. So this is a 
a, a record-setting record, a historical significance record. Like I said, legend. Outside of the Academy and the Grammys, he's also earned a Lifetime Achievement Award from the National Civil Rights Museum. He's a United Nations Messenger of Peace, and he got a Presidential Medal of Freedom back in 2014. He has a key to the city of Detroit and four honorary degrees from Howard University, the University of Alabama at Birmingham, from Rutgers, and from Yale. Stevie Wonder is one of the most socially conscious artists that we've talked about so far, and I mean, flat out of all time. That's just like where his heart is, and that's what he puts into his music frequently. Songs in the Key of Life, as an album, it came out in September of 1976. It's, you know, a little soul, R&B, and funk. It's Stevie Wonder's 18th studio album. That's huge. And he was like in his mid-20s when this came out, and it was his 18th studio album. And actually, for a long time, at least up and through 1995, he called it his favorite. He said, of all the albums, Songs in the Key of Life, I'm most happy about. So he said, just the time, being alive then, to be a father and then letting go and letting God give me the energy and the strength I needed. So he really is fond of this album, and so is the adoring public. It hit number one in the U.S., in Canada, and the Netherlands, and then number two in the U.K. Plus, I mean, it had success around the globe. It got to five and six in New Zealand and Norway, respectively. Number nine in Sweden. He's, you know, worldwide. The amount of just iconic Stevie Wonder songs that are on this this album, and then imagine there being 17 other albums before it. I know. Oh. <laughs> it's insane to me. You can put out this much good music in one album, and there'll still be so much other stuff that came before it. It's true. I know. And actually, you almost didn't get any stuff from this album. This album almost didn't exist. Stevie Wonder was actually considering quitting music after all of his success in the early 70s, after those first 17 studio albums. He wanted to move to Ghana and work with disabled children. Again, a real humanitarian, Stevie Wonder. He actually, they even had a farewell concert in the works and everything, but then he decided, maybe I'll stay, and he signed the biggest record deal in music history at the time, which was a seven-year, seven-album, $37 million deal with Motown, which is what to this album the first of those seven albums that's crazy it sure is yeah songs in the key of life is the first double lp that we've talked about for those of you who don't know it's basically two albums in one it's it's full of music it even came with a four song ep along with both of the lps and yes we're talking about all of the tracks on the b-side cut of this episode we're gonna focus in on some of our favorites for the normal cut but if you love a stevie wonder song from this album and you hear us not talking about it check the b-side because we're gonna talk about all 21 songs on that only on spinitpod.com so because it's technically two albums in one does that mean i can get two separate sets of top three and comparable mentions i don't think so no i don't think so i feel like it should i it is, it is a double LP, which means it's one album that's the length of two. It would take two vinyl records to play it. That's all it means. And so it would take two sets of top three to accurately describe my feelings on it? Question mark? I'll tell you what. Okay, I'm willing I'm willing to compromise. This is an album of, of generosity and good-heartedness, so I'm feeling generous. You can have a second Conorable mention. I've already established that I can do that whenever I want. I did that a couple weeks ago. <laughs> well, but you said then that was the only time you were going to do it. I'm giving you a hall pass to do it a second time this week. Can I bank that hall pass for the future when I have it prepared? <laughs> yeah, I'll allow it, just just because it's going to annoy me later. Next time I whip out a double comparable mention, remember this moment. I will. Yeah, you remind <laughs> me. This album, being so long, was a monster to create. 130 people were involved in the making of this album, and he was in the studio for a long, long, long time for every single track. People that were around him said that he wouldn't eat, he would stay awake forever, and he would really exhaust everybody on his team. He said, and I quote, If my flow is going, I keep on until I peak. So Stevie Wonder, when he got in the zone, he was in the zone. Some of those 130 people that worked on this album include contributions from legends and musicians like Herbie Hancock, George Benson, Denise Williams, Mike Sambello, and more. Quite a list. Yeah. It debuted at number one on the Billboard Pop Charts. At the time, it was only the third album to do so, and it was the first time that an American had done it, and it was there for 13 consecutive weeks at number one. Unheard of, really. Wait, so Stevie Wonder was the first time... Stevie Wonder had the first album that debuted at number one on the Pop Charts an American. Yeah. Whoa. It's the best-selling album of Stevie Wonder's career, and Rolling Stone put it at number four 
on their list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. Number four. What's number? I feel like we've, I've asked this before, but what's number one? Well, so Rolling Stone has done a couple iterations of this list. The most recent one came out in 2020, and Marvin Gaye's What's Going On is the number one album of all time on that version. Having not listened to that whole album, I'm going to respectfully disagree. Okay. I mean, yeah. Now, after we've eventually done it on the podcast, I'm sure we'll get around to it because we plan to do everything eventually. Everything, yeah. Once we get to it, I might disrespectfully disagree but for now i'll respectfully disagree for now i respect it later on watch out it's up in the air oh and it's officially two-hand time this album made it into the national recording registry in 2005 two hands that's right if you're counting on your fingers this is the sixth album we've talked about that's made it into the national recording registry takes two hands to count the number of albums we've talked about it also takes two hands to hold each well, it doesn't. You could put them in one hand. If you want to hold them properly and not... And not scratch them or anything, yeah. It's safer to use two hands. Give give Mr. Wonder and his album the respect it deserves and use two hands. Here is a, a fun fact for you. I don't know if you know, you are a self-proclaimed, quote-unquote, fan of Elton John. I, I do, I do uh, slap the fan title on myself in regards to Elton John. I slap the fan title <laughs> on myself. Great. Elton John, he, he loves this record. He says, or at least he said at one point in his career... That he carried it on tour with him everywhere in the world that he traveled. He would have a copy of Songs in the Key of Life because he loved it so much. I understand. I don't think I'd do that myself. That feels like a lot of work, but I understand the sentiment. Well, you, you also don't have to now because digital music exists. It kind of wasn't an option for Elton. Yeah, that doesn't have the same vibe, though, I feel like. No, it doesn't. You're, you're right. Like carrying two physical pieces of music everywhere with you versus having two copies of it on your phone. Not the same thing. Michael Jackson, George Michael, and plenty of other famous artists of the time and since then have claimed this as a favorite record. So, you know, it, your favorite artist might have this as a favorite album. But with that, I guess it's time we dig into Factor Spin for the week. Is the mixtaper prepared? I hope so. If not, that's going to make for a really interesting segment of Factor Spin, isn't it? Yeah, it is. For, <laughs> for him, I'm going to love it. Hey, it's me! Hello, mixtaper. Hello! How are you doing this week? Uh, Well, I'm a little bummed that you had that cool Ellen John fact. That would have been great for a future episode. But, you know, here we are. Well, that's not like a great fact for you anyway. There's not enough detail to it. Yeah, it just would have been a cool thing to bring up. Well, that's why I did bring it up. This is going to be a longer episode, so I think we should just jump right into it. Uh, we should. That we should. Reminder, B-side, spinitpod.com. Yeah, there might be a bonus round. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, all right. So, let's jump right into it. I'm going to take us back to a time when I felt like a different mixtaper. Uh, the Miley Cyrus episode. <laughs> Yeah. One of the facts that uh, I presented to Connor in that was that Miley Cyrus had a pet emu. Yes. Well, did you know that Stevie Wonder was the first person to own a very specific type of emu? No. Um, what type of emu did he own? Uh, its name is Emulator. Oh, <laughs> okay. A- an emulator. So you're talking about what? Like emulating uh, a video game console of some sort or is it an emu named emulator honestly closer to the second one than the first one but at the same time closer to the first one than the second one this week sucks what Uh, all right, all right, so pretty much it's called Emu Emulator, all right? It's an emulator called Emu, E-Mu. It is a series of digital sampling synthesizers that used floppy disk storage uh, to re- uh, recreate live sound. Okay, so you're talking about, like, remember in the Aerosmith episode, we talked about the Mellotron, right? The instrument that is made of a bunch of cassette tapes that, that draws cassette tapes up when you push the keys you're talking about something like that but with floppy disks i mean i'm just talking about a sampling synthesizer you know like somebody where you can like maybe uh i don't know like play a play a trumpet into it and then it can just repeat that over and over as like a beat sort of thing you know you can sample music and use it in your live performance yeah okay it just this was back in like the 90s so it was floppy disks because that was their (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was the very first. It wasn't the first, uh, you know, sampler ever created, but it was the first of its kind and the first used regularly amongst musicians. And Stevie Wonder had the first one. He did. Where did he get it? Uh, they sent it to him. Yeah, I believe that actually. He he uh, he received the first unit with the serial number zero 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 one. What did he think of it? Did he like it? Did he hate it? He gave it a glowing review at the nineteen eighty one NAMM convention. Okay. Uh, NAMM, what, the National Association of Music Makers? I don't know. 
That's as good a guess as I could have come up with. I guess. Okay. Uh, that's not bad. Is it featured in any Stevie Wonder song? Sure, it probably is. Like I say he used it a bunch, at least in his live performances. It maybe popped up. They probably didn't need a sampler for, you know, something they were recording for an album as much as they needed it for, like, live performances. Well, yeah, but sometimes when you get a cool toy... You, you want to find a way to use it anyway. Now, I don't know if you will have an answer to this, but let's say I'm not Stevie Wonder in 1990 whenever, and I would like to purchase one of these for myself. What's it going to set me back? Well, unfortunately, the sampler was discontinued in 2002, uh, so... It's probably going to set you back quite a bit because you're going to have to go like buy an aftermarket one, and they're probably rarer at this point. Yeah, today it's going to set, but I said in 1990, whatever. Oh well, no, you said you you weren't Stevie Wonder in 1990, whatever, and so I just no, I did the weren't Stevie I Wonder part. If I was somebody yes, other than yes. Stevie Wonder, in but still the year, in the year, I understand 19- where we're at now. Okay, yeah. I, I see where we've gone wrong. Uh, <laughs> What's the retail value of a non-discontinued contemporary emulator synthesizer? Well, uh, the emulator debuted in 1981 at a list price of $7,900, which is significantly less than the $30,000 Fairlight version that was most popular at the time oh my gosh yeah okay so i know stevie wonder had kind of a thing as you can imagine for synthesizers and keyboards and instruments i think this is probably true i'm i'm almost certain i have no doubts that this is true a fact this is indeed a fact yep easy peasy i just thought it was really cool that he had the very first piece of a specific kind of technology yeah but fact number two we're gonna go a little weirder with it he piloted a plane for a president stevie wonder piloted a plane for a president correct so first of all i have to do the same thing i did with hank williams and ask an american president a president of the united states no that's what i thought see it was the same thing then too doesn't make it any less presidential the president of what ghana okay (laughs) yeah so how did he get introduced to the president of ghana what led to them meeting and deciding to take a little flight he went on a trip to ghana to meet him okay i mean that that checks out so you're talking about flying a plane I'm, i'm assuming you're talking about a plane piloted by people with people sitting in it in the air like a little biplane or something you know it was a a fighter plane a a fighter plane stevie wonder flew the president of ghana around in a fighter plane that's what i'm telling you did he drive it like he was in control of it right he was in control of it yeah what okay i don't even know what else to ask about this but it it feels very much like a spin oh here let me ask did he did he do a spin (laughs) as far as i'm aware no no spins uh, in the air. Did he take off and land, or did he just, like, assume control for a while in the air? He did not take off, but he did land it. Okay. Arguably the harder of the two, in my opinion, but I know nothing about planes, so maybe not. It seems like the harder of the two, yes. And it was just him and the president on the plane, chatting it up? Yeah. This is the kind of thing that you would throw in there just to make me think that it's false. I'm gonna say fact. I'm gonna be the most foolish person in the world if this is fake. But I'm playing not to the veracity of the fact, but to your deceptiveness as a mixtaper. And I think this is this is a fact that you just assume I will not believe at all. That's exactly what I did. This is indeed a true fact. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, uh, so President Jerry Rawlings of Ghana uh, had a background as a jet fighter pilot for the military before he became president. And so when Wonder came to visit him, he was like, you want to go up in my, you know, my fighter jet? And one of course, was like, absolutely. And so they went up there. And once they were up there, uh, Rawlings was like, do you want to pilot it? <laughs> and Wonder was like, uh, absolutely. And so. Yes, please. Wonder piloted it while Rawlings gave him directions on like where to go and what buttons to push and things like that. Uh, and then helped guide him down land- to land it. That's incredible. Rawlings, uh, it ha- Rawlings has been quoted as saying that the sensitivity in Wonder's hands was unbelievable yeah that i can believe that i can believe that it's unbelievable (laughs) wow that's an incredible fact i know uh it's one of my favorite facts we've had in a while yeah that was a good one but an almost equally weird fact he paid money to a ghost oh we're back on this (laughs) we're back to ghosts back to machine gun kelly i mean we had some ghosty type stuff on michael jackson too this is an album of references to previous episodes be perfectly honest paid money to a ghost uh in exchange for a good or service uh kind of go on 
for a previous scooter service. Okay, all right, yeah. So he was indebted to somebody for what they did. What did they do while they were, you know, not not a ghost? They were his lawyer. His lawyer, okay. Uh, what kind of legal trouble did this lawyer help him resolve? Uh, nothing, it was just his, like, music lawyer. How long did he work with this guy? What was his name? Uh, the lawyer's name was Johannan Vigada. That's how I'm gonna pronounce that. Johannan Vigada. Uh, he hired him in 1971, and he was his lawyer until he died. How much money did Stevie owe him after he passed? Vigada uh, had a 6% royalty fee, is what he charged for handling Wonder's music. Okay, that's a pretty large chunk of change. I mean, look, it's Stevie Wonder we're talking about here. How much money did he pay? Uh, I assumed it was like a monthly payment. Sure, to the estate or whatever. For the terms of their agreement, Wonder was on the hook for life and afterlife. Oh, okay. Yeah, so... so so they just agreed to have the royalties extend forever. Well, hang on. Let's not be throwing words around like agreed. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's let's not go assuming those kind of details. Okay, so did, did they not agree on that? No. Wonder claimed he had no idea that that was in his contract. So did he pay willingly or out of spite? <clears throat> Basically, the way it would work was that Wonder himself and any of Wonder's heirs would be obligated to pay Vigada and any of Vigada's heirs until the end of time. Oh, that sucks. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know the industry standard. To be perfectly honest, that might be a totally normal thing. But yeah, this fact isn't like the other ghost facts we've had in that Stevie Wonder didn't actually think he owed money to a spirit. This one makes a little more like real life sense. So what you're saying basically is Stevie Wonder paid his lawyer. And I'm going to say that's a fact. He went to court over it because he didn't know that that was in the contract. And so when he found out, he was like, what do you mean I'm paying my dead lawyer? Mm, the problem with that, see, is the cycle. Because when you take your lawyer to court, you have to get another lawyer and then they're going to do it. And then the next, it's a whole thing. I'm just going to say fact. Going with fact. Going for three in a row. This is indeed a fact. Three in a row. Three for three. Yeah, Wonder uh, stopped paying after 20 months is how long it took him to discover this. And so Vigata's widow sued Wonder for $7 million and they settled out of court. Man, that's a lot of emulator synthesizers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> $7 million. Oh. All right, so we've got one more fact for the normal episode, and then the B-side will have an extra one. Indeed. Okay, hit me with our last standard release fact. For a short period of time in his life, he also lost two of his other senses. Oh, interesting. Um, which two senses? Yeah, he lost both his senses of smell and taste. Oh, COVID? COVID got oh, Stevie no. Wonder? Oh, no. <laughs> he, he got the vid. Oh, no. This happened, I presume, well before that was a thing. Uh, back on, uh, in 1973. 1973. So what, what caused it? Uh, he was in an awful car accident. Oh. The car accident left him in a coma for four days. Really? And then when he awoke, he lost his uh, two senses. How long was his taste and smell gone for? Almost a year. Within, wow. Uh, towards the end of a year out from the incident, they came back. That's so long. I know. Could you imagine? Okay, so you know how they say, like, when you lose one sense, your other senses get, like, better? Yeah, he must have been able to touch everything. You know, he lost his sight and his ears got wild. Like, imagine losing another two senses. Like, he would have been able to, like, feel the notes. I mean, maybe he could. I don't know. But that's a lot. I'm going to say this fact is true. I think I'm giving you all truths this week. I, no, not. I think, you're, I think you're starting me off with four facts. And then the last one, <laughs> we'll see what it is. But for now, I'm thinking this one's also true. This is a true fact. Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> I was hoping Wait. I could scare you. <laughs> I can't celebrate yet. Yeah, you got one more. <laughs> Regular listeners, if you want to know if this was a perfect week or not, go check out the B-side. Gosh. I'll see you on another episode for another round of Fact or Spin. Yup. Goodbye, Mixtaper. Yeah. And welcome back to Connor. Welcome back. And welcome back, regular listeners. That's right. If you want to know how uh, Fact or Spin went this week, go check it out. It was suspenseful. <laughs> it was uh, quite a fact. Yes. Let's talk about the album art on Songs in the Key of Life. It's its pretty simple. Uh, it's Stevie Wonder's face in the middle of rings. These, you know, reddish, orange. What I would call a weird version of the Looney Tune rings. It does look a little bit like Looney Tune rings, yeah. And then, you know, around the circle where his face is, it says Songs in the Key of Life, Stevie Wonder. Yeah, I don't know. I got strong That's All Folks vibes from uh, this album art. <laughs> that is a little bit, yeah. It's reminiscent of that. I think, personally, it's kind of cool, but... Way back when the album first came out in 76, Rolling Stone called it 
quote-unquote cheap and off-brand. Really? Yeah. I don't think it looks any cheaper than a person wearing a sheep mask and a suit. Okay, but they well, they didn't talk about that album in 1976. Uh, fair enough, and I wouldn't say it doesn't feel off-brand to me. It's got, I feel like the rings like emanate kind of a funky, relaxed vibe to them. I don't know. <laughs> sure, these are some funky and relaxed rings. Those are some funky, relaxed rings, all right? Rolling Stones, you don't know what you're talking about. This album, it feels fitting in a lot of ways. There's a song called Saturn. What Saturn have around it? Rings. I'm gonna say stars, moons, space. It does have moons. It does not have the closest star to it is the sun. Uh, there are stars around it. I mean, <laughs> depends on how what your scale is. The scale is like whatever. Uh, you gotta put units on your Saturn scale, otherwise, who knows what we're looking at? Right. But it also reminds me sometimes of like these songs, like Summer Soft. With like, it almost looks like the sun rays coming down. It, it's very bright. I don't know. There are a lot of ways that this could be uh, interpreted. And I think that's kind of what I like about it. But I guess we should get into it. We've got 21 tracks to cover. We've never done anything this, this long before. Oh boy. Speed run. Let's speed run it. Yeah, I guess. And, uh, you know, one more reminder. One more reminder. Everything's going to be on the B side. You'll hear some of our favorites in the regular episode. Yeah, we're probably only going to talk about half of the album on regular cut. There's just not enough time. I love all these songs and you'll love all these songs. Well... Oh, okay. Suspense. Let's not throw the word all out there. You're throwing a lot of words around today. That's literally the the object of a podcast. The objective of a podcast is to throw words around. Oh, hang on. You could gently hand them to me. You don't have to throw them. I'm My apologies, good sir. <laughs> Several of these songs will be enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, that's much better. That felt like some nice, gently handed words. The album opens with the song love's in need of love today oh uh, you know first impressions and all that judging the book by its cover kind of a cheesy title it is a cheesy title but it's also a confusing title just to look at it you know if you haven't heard the song and you hear the title love's in need of love today you're like what's that mean i kind of went into it expecting it to be about a girl named love and that was gonna be the like the bit. I listen. So last week on the Beach Boys, we had a lot of ballads that you normally would like that you just didn't love. This week, I'm I'm hoping to continue that identity crisis to some degree. <laughs> That's wow. You want me to be in a continued identity crisis? Thanks. Feeling the love. Maybe I need. Uh, maybe I'm in need of love today. After after that, Connor's in need of love today. <laughs> yeah. I just thought your character needed a revamp in season two. Just a little bit of a little bit of complexity. Well, the podcast is still in season one. It's just back to spend it in season two. <laughs> Whatever. I like the choir that starts off this record and then carries on throughout the song. It is, it's nice and soulful. Yeah, that was my very first note was starting off with a choir. All right. <laughs> is there anything more Stevie Wonder? I think it's the perfect song to kick off a Stevie Wonder album with. Like you said, it, it, it encapsulates who he is as a musician. And the title, it's not about a person. That's not the hook. What he sings about is how love as a concept in modern times needs more love in it. But he's saying basically that people don't love as deeply or as genuinely as they used to or as they should. Man, what do you think he'd say about the day? <laughs> he'd, be, he'd be writing a song like Love's in Need of a Funeral today. I mean, I guess. Love's in Need of of a lot more love. Love's in need of, uh, what's the, like, when they try to sh- shock your heart back up? A defibrillator? Yeah, <laughs> love's in need of a defibrillator today. <laughs> yeah. New hit song, coming to you on Connor's Hippin' and Hoppin' album. Great. <laughs> CV Wonder said, as I worked on the introduction, it began to feel like one of those gospel radio shows I heard as a child. So... After the choir introduction, I came up with this lyric. I was thinking about those churches that had radio programs back in the day and how an announcer would come on and say, good morning or good evening in Radioland. And so that's what he starts the album off with is good morning or evening friends. Here's your friendly announcer. So that's kind of the structure that this song takes is it's like like a little bit of a radio sermon. He's kind of preaching this message of love to the to the people. I love the way that he hits everybody. He like breaks it up on its syllables. It is nice. Yeah. And the song is pretty simple. It's just that intro right with the choir. Then there's two pretty meaty verses and then a floatier chorus. They're only meaty because he takes a while to sing them. They are. That's where everything in the song is in the verses except for the hook of love's in need of love today. Except for two-thirds of the song, which is the really long chorus. But all the chorus says ever is love's in need of love today. Send love right away. Oh, see, I actually had a note here that said that even though chorus two is super, super long and a 
bit on the repetitive side. He changes it up slightly throughout it, which makes it fresh enough that it doesn't fall into the category of Connor hate. He varies it up just enough both lyrically and vocally. Yeah, it is. And it's it's nice in the chorus. And in the verses, he gets a little more real. He says, the force of evil plans to make you its possession, and it will, if we let it, destroy everybody. That's a pretty meaty verse. Taking a bit of a hyperbole detour here, Stevie Wonder. I know. I said, yikes. What kind of a radio sermon is this? It's like that one where they were like reading, uh, they were doing like a radio reading of like a- War of the Worlds? <laughs> yeah, of War of the Worlds, and everybody thought like the world was ending. That's kind of what he makes it sound like, the world ending. I love, one of my favorite moments on this song is in the extended second chorus is the you've got to, I've got to, they've got to, we've got to, they've got to, we've got to stop it. You know, he goes on this really interesting rhythmic detour, a a really cool deviation from what's standard there. And I just love that. It sounds so good. I I, I like that too, because, you know, you could have just simply said we've got to, right? But he like stumbles his way there through the you've got to, no, I've got to, no, they've got, we've got, you know, he just like, it's like this almost like a spiral. In a scenario where like the world's ending, you're like spiraling, right? It's like, oh god, we gotta stop it. That's pretty much the first song. Track three on this album is Village Ghetto Land. This is socially conscious Stevie that we've talked so much about. He paints this really gritty picture of life in quote unquote village ghetto land, but the backdrop behind it is this almost like regal sounding synth string section. This is also patronizing sardonic Stevie. Yes, yeah, he's taking jabs at all the wealthy people, the ways that they engage with the uh you know poor community and that's mostly what that regal sounding synth is like there to make fun of it sounds like you know like i like i said regal it's 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 very rich and snooty it's phenomenal really like the the orchestral high society sounding music contrasted with the singing about the lower class living conditions it it's a phenomenal bit of music play it is and to make that sound he used a yamaha gx1 it was an experimental polyphonic synthesizer he called it his dream machine and it cost sixty thousand dollars at the time dang it's an expensive piece of equipment which is why i was so fascinated when you started talking about the emulator uh you mean the mixtaper started talking about the emulator the mixtaper yes naturally but yeah it's it's a really really cool string type sound yeah and it's like you know that's i think why i was so excited at the beginning of this episode to be doing stevie wonder stuff like this you know we haven't really had in my opinion an artist here of recent that just blew you out of the waters both with its subject matter and its craftsmanship these songs are crafted in my opinion on a completely different tier from like some of the stuff we've done recently yeah uh in a lot of ways stevie wonder has a very you know a golden touch when it comes to stuff like that. What's interesting about this song is it really doesn't have a chorus. It's a verse, verse, verse. And all the verses are full of these different levels of imagery, right? The kids who are playing on the dead-end street, the robbers who are stealing things, the broken glass, the the killing, and the politicians that laugh and drink, drunk to all demands. We really kind of go through this whole scenario, but he doesn't hit us with the hook until the end. The, The song ends with the line, Tell me, would you be happy? in Village Ghetto Land. And of course, you know, the answer that he means to draw from you is, of course not. And I mean, just some of the lyrics hit you so hard. Yeah. Families buying dog food now. Babies die before they're born, infected by the grief. Slams you with those lyrics while just playing you this nice, pretty sounding orchestral song. Yeah, it's it's a lot to take in, to absorb in one sitting. I mean, and he does it in these three short verses. It's just such a mind-boggling experience. I think it's an important track on this record. It's kind of the start of all of his socially conscious songs. This is the first one, and I think it's a poignant one to start with because it lays the framework for all the other socially conscious songs that will come after it. Sir Duke is the next song on the album. It's the end of the first side of the album. This is the one, you know, you'd have to flip the record after you finish this one. One quarter of the way through. Yes. Not to be confused was when you had to put right. yeah, on record number two. Yeah, you're just <laughs> flipping side one to side two. Side three comes later. <laughs> Sir Duke is a tribute to music and to musicians. He starts off with music as a world within itself, a language we all understand. And of course, it's got the really fun, lighthearted chorus. They can feel it all over. 
as they're grooving and dancing to the music. Is your commentary on the song just going to be <laughs> you singing snippets of it? Listen, I had a whole marching band show dedicated to Stevie Wonder themed music, and this was one of the songs. Of course. Yeah. So it's engraved in my head. Well, I'm sure it is. I like, like I have nightmares about this song. You have nightmares about Sir Duke? <laughs> like I, the song plays and I can, I just get Vietnam flashbacks to the dance moves and set placings from the show. Right. Do you think you could still do them? I could definitely do the, uh, some of the, some of the dance breaks that we had in this song. It wasn't even really dance breaks that we were still playing, you know, when we had to do it, it's just, we'd stand in place and do something and not move around. You feel it all over. Yeah. What? A brass section on this one. And I mean, I love it all the way through. As a brass player, I I have to agree. This is the first song on the album to hit top three territory. I'm not surprised. I love the parts too, where it's just the trumpets and the bass. It really gives that sound so much depth. And you get the bum 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 Yeah, one of my favorite things on this song is just the little punk-a-dunk of the electric guitar on the verses. I don't know if you heard it. Oh, that was a great terminology. I'm stealing that. Punk-a-dunk. Yeah, that's the sound it makes. And it's just hidden back there. It's really easy to gloss over. And the second verse... Uh, he decides to give shout-outs to some of his own inspirations and some of music's greats that, quote-unquote, time will not allow us to forget, including Count Basie, Glenn Miller of the Glenn Miller Orchestra. He shouts out Satchmo, a.k.a. Satchel Mouth, a.k.a. Louis Armstrong, and, of course, the king of all, Sir Duke Ellington. And he talks about, you know, with a voice like Ella Fitzgerald's ringing out, there's no way the band can lose. It's really just an awesome tribute to all these jazz and r&b figures throughout history and all right mr hates repetitive songs does this one really continue the identity crisis for you sir duke why would it it's it's pretty repetitive down at the end it's nothing but they can feel it all over feel it all over feel it all over it's it's a lot at the end of the same thing over and over and i'm i'm saying it should continue the identity crisis because you should enjoy it the issue that I'll talk about a couple of times on the album, is Stevie Wonder's songs will overstay their welcome. Ooh, that's a hot take. Uh, It only happens a couple times. This isn't one of them. And that's really only because the marching band version of the song we played, you know, we couldn't play this entire song to how long it is. So we put an abridged shorter version. And so it always hits the part where we would have stopped. And that's where I want it to stop. And so it starts to get a little repetitive after that, but it's still catchy. And so it's whatever. It's whatever. Yes. Sir Duke, it's whatever. It's whatever. You can quote me on that. <laughs> quote Connor. No, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think this this first part of the record here, you know, this is all side one of Songs in the Key of Life. I think it's one of the strongest first sides of a record we've had yet on this podcast 30 episodes deep up there definitely gonna be in top three territory it easily easily and then you flip that record over and i wish is the first song on the other side i mean holy crap he's just going to town the man does not quit uh this is where i start to have my problem with picking a top three again this one's not in the top three and i'm not sure if i'm happy with that answer or not but that's where i'm at so far it's just the complexity of the lyrical themes in it is just like i said on a different level from anything we've done here of late my opinion no i mean you're not too wrong about that it's so good in i wish stevie tells the story of his own childhood and growing up with childhood innocence in all kinds of circumstances culminating in this longing for those days to return to go back to it yeah which is crazy because he also starts his song off talking about how you know he didn't grow up with the greatest home life necessarily but he never realized that i guess as a child right like he says in the opening lines, all he had to do was worry about what he'd get on Christmas morning. Yeah, yeah. That was his only worry in the world, even though he grew up in not the greatest environment. And so it's like now that he's out of that environment and in a way better environment, he's still longs for the days of innocence and no worries compared to now the worries and knowledge he has in his adult life. He does. He runs through all this range of childhood experiences like Christmas morning, like you said, to uh, hoodlum fights with his siblings you know to trading all of his sunday school money for candy all these like little innocent things you do as a child you know his sister actually gets a cameo she's the voice that scolds him after he writes something nasty on the wall you nasty boy yeah that's that's his sister that's great it's such a cool fun autobiographical piece it's it's so simple at its core but it's another case like we've seen where he doesn't just say i want to go back because life was simpler 
right? He presents us this series of images and these anecdotes and stories that just illustrate that for us, and we can get there ourselves. I love that. Yeah, it's one of those it's one of those songs that it's a shame it's not in the Connor top three. Yep, the classic metric by which everyone decides <laughs> what's a shame. My my metric is the end all be all on shameful situations. So Isn't She Lovely is the next song we're going to talk about. It is the first song on side three of the record. Isn't She Lovely? I'm betting this is a song that most of you have heard if you came here for Stevie Wonder. It's honestly maybe one of his biggest hits on the album. I mean, Sir Duke is up there. Sir Duke is up there. I Wish is up there. Isn't She Lovely is also up there. It's kind of those three for the biggest hit. And it's the next counter top three. Go figure. Yeah. It's it's about the birth of his first daughter. This song just overflows with love for his daughter and for his wife. And lyrically, it is so short. He does a great job of using his space efficiently. It's remarkable. As loving as it is towards his daughter, his daughter can go from the song. I assume that that's actually his daughter crying at the beginning there, the, the little baby sounds. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it can go. It can go? You, you want to kick his daughter out, but isn't she lovely? Isn't she wonderful? Not when she's crying. Oh, it clues you in to the whole premise of the song. I like that. I know. I know. But you know how I feel about that kind of sampling stuff in my songs. Get it out of here. I guess. Sure. I've yet to see it done in a way that I enjoy. This song actually, ironically, I mean, we just talked about how there aren't many lyrics. I want to talk about Stevie Wonder's restraint on this song. Because he could have just filled verses upon verses with lyrics and, you know, these beautiful, like, rhetorical questions about his daughter. Isn't she this? Isn't she that? He could have gone on forever. But he doesn't. I think the music is good enough that almost every song on this album could just jam on for eight minutes and I'd be okay with it. But he doesn't do that. And he's really conscious about, you know, he picks and chooses what to say and how to present it very carefully. He's a great arranger of his work. And he does it. What he, what he does choose to say, he says in such a compelling way. Yeah. Like, like, I guess on the one hand, right, you have, he's saying some pretty simple stuff, like, isn't she lovely? Isn't she precious? There's nothing really innately complex about that, right? No. Uh, they're all just, like, synonyms for how to describe the baby. But the way he's singing it and the passion you can kind of hear in his voice is just so compelling. And then he'll hit you stuff with, like, the line, uh, less than one minute old, which... It's just like the perfect line to ground you exactly into when he's experiencing these emotions and these feelings, right? They just ground you instantly into the setting of when he's going through, when he's like would be staring at this newborn going, isn't she lovely? And having all these emotions. It's amazing. It really is. Truly the angel's best. Do you know his daughter, Aisha, is actually also a musician. She's grown up to be a singer in her own right. Didn't know that. Never listened to any of her work, but I knew she was a singer. Well, I've, you know, I've been told she's lovely. I was told she was precious, so. <laughs> Wonderful was the best adjective there, and neither of us used it. So one thing that I know you have complained about in the past, I don't know which one it was on, the breaking up of longer syllable words with pauses, you didn't care for it? Oh, that was Miley Cyrus. Was it on Miley Cyrus? I was afraid it was on Miley Cyrus. California Dreamin' was the one that you're referring to specifically. But he does it. He does it well. He like will put a pause in or he'll draw out a syllable of a word. And it works the way he does it. Yeah. And then, of course, it's the meat and potatoes of this song from, like, a song standpoint. I mean, the meat and potatoes of the lyrics are in the only, like, two verses you get. But that harmonica solo into the instrumentals that just go on and on. Beautiful. And it's awesome. Like, I talked about how on one of the previous ones that it overstayed its welcome, this one didn't stay long enough. Like, I could have listened to that all day long. Right? I know. It, it, this one understays its welcome. It is welcome much longer. Hey, harmonica solo from Isn't She Lovely if you're ever in town? Drop by. Feel free, yeah, feel free to pop in and stay for a while. Pop in and stay for a while. This song also might as well get an honorable mention as an instrumental track for how long that outro <laughs> instrumental goes. Like, it's basically a whole nother song. Like <laughs> It pretty much is. Like, there's two instrumental tracks on this album, and this one is the honorable mention third instrumental track. Yeah, fair. You got a good point. Like, I have a question for you. Yeah. How many harmonicas do you think this song and Piano Man have combined sold, like, around the world? <laughs> I don't know. It's probably a few. Like, I would love to somehow have a statistic on that, how many harmonicas these two songs have sold. Because, like, think about how many people have just jammed out to this and been like, I want to learn to play the harmonica and bought a harmonica. I'm going to learn to play the harmonica like Stevie Wonder. Yeah. 
it's got to be at least a, a few. Uh, at least one, right? And if not, I'll go buy one and make it one. <laughs> I was going to say, if you bought a harmonica, then yes. The next song is called Joy Inside My Tears. And, I mean, this song is pretty much just about what the title says, right? Somebody who brings you happiness in the bad times. Who brings you joy inside your tears. Yeah, the the first verse is, I think, my favorite part about the song. It pays off really well, in my opinion. Uh, you know, you get the, I've always come to the conclusion that but is the way of asking for permission to lay something heavy on one's head, right? What a line. <laughs> I know. it's such a That's such a heavy line and a really complicated one to dissect and then he hits you with the second phrase which is so i have tried to not be the one who fall into that line but what i feel inside i think you should know like he hits you with the butt immediately after explaining what the butt implies i know right it's so good stevie wonder hit me with the butt hit me with that butt stevie wonder <laughs> with that butt, stevie wonder that's a quote that's one of those you don't have very many quotes like that <laughs> and then you hit in this very very catchy chorus of and baby it's you you you, you 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 it's so good it's so good they get it made life's history like it's ah it's another song that was a shame that couldn't make it somewhere in my top three carnival mentions you've done what no one else thought could be done you brought joy inside my tears you've alleviated some of the sadness that I'm feeling. I do feel verse two was a bit of a letdown compared to verse one. Well, it's hard to top verse one. You know, we've talked in the past about how second verses sometimes struggle to live up to what the first verse does because it has to somehow continue the song. The common mantra, yeah, is that the second verse is the hardest part of a song to write. But I haven't really noticed that on this album up until this point. Like, the songs have this flown by for the most part, you know, been very fluid. Yeah, he usually sticks with it. This was the first verse that I was like, hmm, this felt lacking. Yeah, I understand that. It's another six plus minute song. I mean, we've got some real long ones to kick off side three, don't we? Yeah, and unfortunately, it's another one of the songs that overstates its welcome, which is really what keeps it out of the top three territory. Uh, understandable. This one is long and slow. I'm okay with that. The problem is they wind it down perfectly in about the three minute. I looked at my timestamp because I noticed it. It was about the three... 10 to 320 mark right in there they really kind of fade the song down really well yeah and then they ramp it back up and i was like no you should have just ended it should have just ended it yeah that would have been a good spot to do it they do bring it down really really well the next song is no exception to the long song thing that's going on black man is the next track on the record track 13 it is number 13 it's a whopping eight and a half minutes it's the longest song on this record by a, a good stretch. There's so much to talk about in this song that we can't even do with a B-side cut. It's full of praise for some of the greatest accomplishments and inventions and in people across history. So it's a song that comes with a lot of footnotes. Should we hit a couple of the more notable ones? I mean, there's all the ones at the end that they tell you who they are. But then there's the ones that are in the verses that they don't tell you. And so maybe we hit on a couple of those. Yeah, I would say, you know, we'll cover what we can, but please, like... Do yourself a favor, look up all the people that this song mentions, because it's worth learning. To name a few, he talks about Crispus Attucks, the first casualty of the Boston Massacre in 1776. He talks about Pedro Alonso Nino from Columbus's Voyage, the first open-heart surgeon, Daniel Hale Williams. He gives a shout-out to Squanto, to Cesar Chavez, to Thomas Edison, and so, so many more. Usually you're the one hitting me with the, like, guessing games. Yeah. I've got a guessing game for you. Okay. I need you to... Look away from the lyrics. You're not allowed to look. Okay. That would be cheating. This song has a reference to a previous episode that we've done. You know what it is. A reference to a previous episode? Yeah. we we Something in the lyrics here of this song we talked about in a previous episode. Is it is it in the chanting part of the lyrics or is it in the, the singing part of the lyrics? It is in the chanting part of the lyrics. Oh, gosh. They're so, that's so long. But it really should have made it stand out more to you because they said the name and the achievement. I guess it's slipping my mind. Here's the line writing <clears throat> who invented the world's first stoplight and the gas mask <laughs> no way garrett morgan <laughs> the inventor of the stoplight that the mixtape used back in electric yes uh, as a spin right. i didn't even realize until right now 
What a thing to come back. <laughs> what a thing to come back. The invention of the stoplight and Garrett Morgan. That is from Electric Guest Kin episode 13. If you're looking for a reference, that's where it is. Amazing. No, I can't believe I didn't even think of that. I'm glad you did it because that would have been made for a really sad guessing game if you just knew it. Sad for you. <laughs> it would have been fine for me. It would have made for a better one. So, yeah, this song... Shouts out all these people. It's a song of unity and kind of it's a 4th of July song, right? I know the birthday of a nation is when the country celebrates. But remember, we all played a part in America. Between the verses and the call and response outro, where they list even more people, in total over two dozen shout outs are in this song. Yeah, I take back what I said a couple songs ago about the like kind of talk talking during songs oh yeah you better not have a problem with this one yeah this is how it's done well i i said i'd never seen it done well immediately forgot about this song (laughs) (laughs) yeah you were caught up in the moment i understand it's great too because the music is catchy and kind of just on loop during that chanting thing so like you can really focus on what they're saying without getting bored yeah i think the song is really really well executed and really poignant and important in 1976 and today i mean not like much as you know changed in terms of our need to remember these people i mean think about how how often stoplights are used every day i used a couple tonight thank garrett morgan that's right shout out to garrett morgan can garrett morgan be an official like ambassador of the smith podcast (laughs) yeah he's like our boy we were yeah garrett morgan's with us the next song is a song that i personally really really like i am not fluent in zulu but the song is called nikulela es una historia i am singing right? It's a trilingual song. The song, like I said, starts in Zulu, which is, you know, spoken in Southern Africa, then Spanish, and then English. And the verses roughly translate into the same thing. I was going to say, I purposely didn't uh, look up the translated lyrics, so I could focus on what I was hearing untranslated, but I assumed that the lyrics would be pretty similar. <laughs> Yes. we got in English later on. Yeah, they all translate into that same, I'm singing for tomorrow, I sing of love, I sing that someday love will reign around this world of ours. I, I mentioned earlier that this album had a lot of references to previous episodes we'd done, that at least I kept making drawing connections to. I feel like this is one of only two songs we've done on the podcast that have featured a decent amount of non-English lyrics. At least I could only think of one other one. Um... Yeah, I don't think we've done too many non-English songs yet. Do you know which one I'm thinking of? <laughs> Dahu Dores from The Grinch. <laughs> Welcome Christmas. All right, so then three if we're counting that one. <laughs> no, I'm not counting that one at all. Maybe I don't know which one you're talking about. You probably don't because it's one I sprung on you during the Dua Lipa episode when I made you listen to Fever. Fever, you're right. The majority of the song is in French. I forgot about that. You're right. We did do a French song. It, it does a similar thing where it does the first like half of the song in French and then switches to English. I like this song a lot. I love the music. I love the message. I love the concept behind the trilingual thing. Uh, next track, uh, we're on track, I think, 16 of 21. It's As. Ah, uh, yes. A simile. What? A simile. As. That's what this song is. You know, it's one big simile. A simile. Yeah. As. Because uh, we're building into all of these similes in a row. That's that's the whole point of the song. Gotcha. So I think As is a cool title, I guess. I, I like it. I love that the title is As. Again, it's, this is one of those songs that the trap would have been to just call it Always. Would have been a very trappy title for this. And I'm glad it's not that. Because at, by calling it As... Every time the word as is said in the song, it gives it like that special little punch. Yeah, not only to mention, I mean, the song is not about always. The song is about how this is like that, how how love is like everything else. So it's not about it being like that always. That's not where the emphasis is. As was Stevie Wonder's 34th top 40 single. This felt like it would have been a great end of the album track. I mean, (laughs) I felt like thematically it tied up a lot of the themes that were explored in earlier songs. And I mean, this was technically the second to last track before the extra four songs, right? Yeah, this is almost the album closer. Well, we'll talk about it here in a little bit, but I would have switched this with another star and cut the final four songs off. Well, they were cut off. I know. I'm just saying, in general, I would have cut them from this as well. I love the way that he sets up the series of comparisons and then tacks the payoff to the end, right? As around the sun, the earth knows she's revolving. As now can't reveal tomorrow's mysteries as this as that i'll be loving you always in the same way that all this is going on i will love you 
forever. Exactly. But you see how he ends all of his like verses and choruses with the I'll be loving you always. Like that's why it would have been such a trap to call the song always. It, I think it would have been perfectly normal for somebody like in today's society where people are cut churning out cookie cutter songs to just call this song always. It's just not as good. It would have been a especially because it always is a way catchier title of a song than just the word as. Maybe as is short for always. They just dropped the L way. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Oh, no. It could be. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm from now on going to shorten the word always to as. How often are you going to do it? As often as I can remember to do it. What? Okay, I thought you were just going to say as. That was the test. I teed it up. I, so I was midway through that sentence and I realized you teed it up for me and I let you down. I'm, I apologize. It's okay. But not really. You want to set me up again? How often are you going to do that? As often as I remember to do it. Oh, crap. No. Wow. <laughs> I love the second verse. Do you know that love asks for nothing? He starts personifying love. It's it's nice. As today I know I'm living, but tomorrow could make me the past. I'll be loving you always. It's as, it's as constant as that reality. The bridge, where he actually starts really getting into the vocal, actually got cut out of the radio edit of this song. If you listen to the radio version, you won't hear the bridge. We all know sometimes life's hates and troubles can make you wish you were born in another time and space. That whole bit is not on the radio <laughs> because it's another song that is just very long. <laughs> you talk about the attention span of the public. A seven minute, eight second song is not going to cut it for your standard pop radio slot. So as Billy Joel might say, it's a beautiful song, but it runs too long. And if you want to have a hit, you got to make it fit. So they cut it down. We're moving into bonus disc three, song one, side one. <laughs> <laughs> song 18 if you're keeping track of the full album right the last four tracks on this album are from a companion ep called something's extra it's kind of like the outtakes for the album right like we talked about with the beach boys trombone dixie this is kind of that stuff that he had on hand it just didn't make the cut for the full album saturn is the first song on the ep and it's a very interesting song like what if people just lived on Saturn? Gotta love a good space song with possible mythological ties. Yeah, a good space u utopia. Saturn, of course, yeah, is the planet, but Saturn, the Roman god, was also the god of wealth, liberation, agriculture, and time. A lot of things that this song talks about, right? Where people live to be 205 and, you know, there's no more suffering it's this idyllic place. I like it. The, the imagery in this song is so interesting and kind of out of place with the rest of the album, right? Uh, to talk about the chorus, going back to Saturn where the rings glow, there's rainbow moonbeams and orange snow on Saturn. Rainbow? Is that a reference back to... Casey Musgraves, uh-oh. Oh, well, I was going to go to Dark Side of the Moon, but yeah, that works. Well... Dark Side of the Moon is the one Stevie Wonder would have actually heard. But you just talked about how this is a reference to past episodes, and we've been talking about song titles the whole time, so I thought Casey Musgraves Rainbow. I mean, I was trying to make a reference back to a previous episode, just not the one you chose. Well, I just didn't know that you'd refer back to Pink Floyd because you hate their guts. I didn't hate their guts. They, I gave them a solid seven. Going back to Saturn where the people smile. Don't need cars because we've learned to fly on Saturn, a planet where the gravity is probably heavier than that on Earth. Am I Am I wrong? It's gas, but it's giant. So this song ends with this little schoolyard jump rope chant, right? The, the kids playing jump rope games, I suppose, trying to, you know, do the little chant to figure out who they're going to fall in love with. And uh, I, I kind of like the way that that echoes a lot of the themes that we've had on songs like I Wish. And uh, it, it kind of brings back to mind that childhood innocence that we talked about on there. And then, of course, Isn't She Lovely? It's that same sentiment making a, a reappearance. This song just wasn't anything super special to me. It, it, it just exists. On, a, on an album full of showstoppers like Sir Duke and Isn't She Lovely, it's just existed. I really like the music on Saturn. Uh, more so than the lyrics. But lyrically, yeah, I guess it does just kind of exist here. Musically, oh, I like it. The next song is Ebony Eyes, and I like that one a lot. It's just a, a nice, upbeat song about a devastating beauty. It just didn't do it for me. That chorus didn't hit how I wanted it to. Uh, and it was because I think the chorus was too similar to the verses. It was one of those cases where, like, if I didn't have it right in front of me, I wouldn't have been able to necessarily tell you where it transitioned on a first listen. Interesting. Yeah, but understandable. Kind of like verse one, chorus, verse two, just seamlessly, but not in, like, the, a way you want. That's that's fair. Yeah. The, the ebony eyes line hit well, though. I'll give them that. The, a pretty girl with ebony eyes. 
that one pretty girl with the bunny eyes yeah i really like this one musically there's a very 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 cool and unique talk box effect thrown in there that that kind of does the instrumental breakdown and i love i'm a sucker for a talk box yeah we've talked about the talk box a couple of times yeah it's come up before i just like the the bounciness of this song this is another yeah he breaks up the words a lot mid phrase she's the sun flower you know what I mean? It, it, it happens multiple times. And yeah, I guess it just doesn't bother me as much here. I think you just that's because you hate Miley Cyrus's guts. No, I don't. This is just another low-tier song for me. I mean, fair enough. Uh, it, it's like mid-high for me. But I really liked the next track, the last instrumental and the last song for the bonus EP and the album overall. I know because you picked it over another star. We can't not talk about the last song. I mean, I will always talk about an instrumental. Don't don't get me wrong. It's just of the two two and a half instrumentals on this album, it was my least favorite. Easy going evening, parentheses, my mama's call is the last track. I think that's the perfect title for the album closer, right? We've just had this journey through life and youth and love and now we're just being called home at the end of a long exhausting day at this lazy evening it just feels nice and it sounds right for that too yeah that harmonica comes out again it feels very like like a hazy kind of song like we're just (sighs) taking a deep breath and as i said a lot of these songs i would have listened to all day long with no stop so i'm not ready to take it easy yet i'm not ready for an easy going evening i still want the the hard coming afternoon Call it whatever you want. You could be not ready for it all you want, but I think I think it's a nice way to end the album. It's been a long 20 tracks. You know, we talked last week about how the Beach Boys released their double album, like their Pet Sounds, you could listen to it twice with bonus tracks and it was still like an hour. This entire album, you can't even listen to once in an hour and a half. I know, it's crazy. It's so much longer. And I love almost every second of it. And it's all way better than the Pet Sounds stuff. Except for a couple of tracks that I really liked on Pet Sound. Wow, that's a the hot take. I I would kind of say everything's better here. Not everything, because there were the ones that were some of the lower tier ones wouldn't beat out. There might be a little overlap, maybe, but not much, not much. So I guess it's time for final spin. Final spin. I mean, what's there to say about this album that we haven't talked about already? I guess I'm going to keep it short and sweet. We've pretty much talked fairly in depth about everything. Uh, do you have a, a favorite song? What, what was your top three and what should we put on the playlist from your pick? What's your pick? I think if I'm going to pick one song from this album to put on the playlist, the one it has to be. Again, it's those three that we talked about earlier. Sir, Sir Duke, I Wish, and Isn't She Lovely. I Wish can stay off. Really? You don't like I Wish? It's not in my top three. The other two are. Well, I Wish is, is really good. But I understand and the other two are fine with me. <laughs> Yeah, Isn't She Lovely has to be on. And while I think I'd prefer another star over Sir Duke, I don't think I'd convince you of that, so I'll go with Sir Duke. Fair enough. That's that's the take there. Now, as far as my scores go, music on this album is just mind-blowing, right? From the first choir on Love's in Need of Love today to the last harmonica fading out of Easy Going Evening. There's really not much that I don't absolutely love. Stevie Wonder's a wizard, right? He was a prodigy with his young number one records, <laughs> and that shows on this album. I don't have anything even really minorly negative to say about it. I'm giving music a 98. It's funky. It's catchy. Have we had anything get a 100 in a category yet? On the podcast? Yes. What did we have get a 100? Dark Side of the Moon got a 100 in vibe. Everything else has been below that. There's not many hundreds on my spreadsheet. I I really try and give them sparingly. If anything gets a 100 on the spreadsheet, it's usually going to be vibe because that's just, you know, is the easiest one to master. Right. But Stevie Wonder gets a 98 for music. In terms of lyrics, other than like... (laughs) one or two songs that maybe is a dud i really don't have much to say we talked about a little bit in the b-side all day sucker is a little bit of a dud a couple of these other songs just don't do a ton for me ordinary pain is like okay but you know lyrically mostly everything is so strong all these ways that he presents images and twist phrases and stuff stevie wonder is just as good of a lyricist as he is a musician. I'm giving lyrics a 93. Instruments of production, same deal, man. (laughs) The guy is a synthesizer wizard. 
everything's so funky when it needs to be. Everything is soft and quiet when it needs to be from the harps on if it's magic to the summer soft, just the floatiness of it to something, you know, like I wish that's really plucky and grounded. I just like all of it. Instruments of production is another 93. And then overall vibe, I think, I think in just one or two places, like we've talked about, maybe, maybe the overall vibe is slightly affected by some songs overstaying their welcome just a little bit. For the most part, I think this album has a great message of like peace and love and unity. And it's very like socially conscious. It's got a lot of heart, mostly. Uh, I think it's a great picture that he paints across these 21 tracks. And it sounds consistent. It feels good to listen to. And I mean, the hour and 40 some minutes that it takes to get through just goes by in the blink of an eye. I'm giving Vibe a 92, which takes the final score. Drum roll, please. I don't know why sometimes I make you do a drum roll and sometimes I don't. All right. Enough drums. 95.8. Uh, what was that? Say that again? I'm sorry. I was too busy drumming. 95.8. Did you say I didn't hear that? I was drumming? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 95.8 is the score on this one. That puts it at number 13 overall. Number 13. All right. 13. It's so impressive. Not top 10, though. Mr. Wonders wasn't worth top 10. It's a list of over 500... 12 albums i mean 13 is a stellar record i love it through and through and it's one of my favorites i'll never not want to listen to it i know that's a double negative but that just means i'll always want to listen to it that's that's basically what i'm getting at how about you me uh so i refuse to put my top three in order this week because i'm like i said i think i'm happy with it but i don't want to be locked in on something so i'll just give them to you in album order so in album order the not conorable mention goes to contusion then we got sir duke the conorable mention is summer soft and then we got isn't she lovely and another star some of those top three songs uh aren't probably weren't talked about in the regular cut so if you want to hear my opinion on why they're in my top three go listen to the b-side on the website the b-side on the website spinitpod.com that's a, a great top series of songs overall score the only thing i'll say that i haven't said already or you haven't said is that those last four songs did drop it a bit for me when i say a bit i just mean not enough to change the number but like it started edging closer towards the next number i was just i wasn't a big fan of those last four songs to that point there is a reason those last four songs were left off the album and included as a bonus EP. I agree, but they weren't left off of this podcast. Nope, because I love them. <laughs> great. Well, and because of that, the score gets a low nine. Bells of the Cow variety out of ten. <laughs> Stevie Wonder nine cowbells out of ten. No, not cowbells out of ten. Just nine bells of the cow variety. Bells of the cow variety. Yes. Colloquially known as cowbells. Colloquially known as cowbells. <laughs> To a cow, it's just a bell. Do you think uh, cows hear us ring other bells and they go, man, those people bells? People bells? I don't know. It's funny that you're calling it a, a low nine because nine is like your your pinnacle. I mean, yeah, nine is my pinnacle, but I'm just letting you know it goes towards the bottom of the nine. Right, the bottom of the of the nines. I actually know exactly where I'm going to slot it. It's going to get slotted right between rumors and thriller, I think. Are you kidding? Oh, What do you mean? That's gross. What? I feel like it should go above the band Camino. Well, but the band Camino is above Thriller. I that also feels wrong, but <laughs> you put it where you want. That's your that's your thing. I'm just saying. I take some disagreements. I have some disagreements with your. So, but do you agree Thriller is better than this? It's close. I think part of it is because Thriller has way less songs, but there's just there's enough songs on this one that I wasn't as big a fan of compared to on Thriller that the ratio made me want to put it below thriller sure that's fair i'm okay with that i'm fine with your numerical score being a nine i just the order of your nines is really throwing me off <laughs> i really like the bank amino album i still listen to it a lot how many other bells do you think cows hear uh i don't know don't is it like a stereotypical like thing to see in movies like a dinner bell out on the farm ring or the people on the field they probably hear the dinner bell the cat or dog has a bell so you know where it's at to hear that bell maybe wind chimes do those kind of bells no they're chimes what are chimes but like long tube bells they're very different <laughs> fair enough <laughs> yeah anyway thanks for listening to uh spin it the bell podcast where we talk about all the different varieties of bells ring it ring it i hate that yep. <laughs> i guess that's gonna do it for stevie wonder songs in the key of life what a milestone album for a milestone 30th episode how about that? We picked a good one. Yeah, we did. I'm, I'm glad we did this one. 
Me too. Uh, let us know what your favorite song was in the comments on social media or if you're w- listening to this on YouTube, let us know there. If you're looking for us, you can find us on Twitter at SpinItPod, on Instagram at SpinItPodOfficial, and on the web at www.SpinItPod.com. It's also where you'll find the B-side cut of this episode if you haven't already. Find out what happened on that mystery factor spin fact and, and more. Ooh. Find out which songs Connor hated. And more. Anyway, uh, until then, we will see you next week. See you next week. Until then, you know what to do. Wait, what do we do? Keep spinning. Oh! Yeah, of course, that's what you do all the time. So how's your identity crisis? You're the ballad guy who hates ballads and the repetitive guy who likes repetitive songs now. Yeah, it's almost like I'm getting, like, split personality disorder going on over here. It's almost like i got other identities going on. Weird. Weird. I got some resumes. You have squirrels applying for the job. You told me to put it out there that we need to hire someone. That's true. I guess the math department could use some more members. More paws on deck. Let's go. Let's go do that. Okay. Whatever. <laughs>